I was listening yesterday, Shauna, to a episode from Throughline, which is an NPR history podcast, which I love. Any history geeks out there who don't know about it, you should definitely check it out. And it was about the Aztecs and the their big city in the 1400s and 1500s called Tenochtitlan, I think is how it's pronounced, and the fall of that city. And so they talk about the whole process and how the history that is taught in Spain and taught in even uh, Latin America now is not exactly accurate. And it got me thinking about the stories that we tell, who's telling them, and what gets left out. Mm, And there's tons of stuff that gets left out. And then we have what's called revisionist history, where it seems as if we have to revise what's already out there. And I think we should challenge revisionist history. That language doesn't sit well for me. So let's talk about it. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So the podcast, um, it was talking about Cortez. So folks who are familiar with this, you know, the story goes that Cortez rolls in from Spain and with 500 people, he overthrows Montezuma. Um, who's Mm. the king of Tenochtitlan and, you know, he's triumphant and therein becomes kind of the Spanish um, influence and colonization of uh, Latin America. And that's actually not how it happened. So there was, it's quite complicated, but he certainly didn't do it with 500 people. And part of how he was able to win was because smallpox that was brought over by the Europeans, um, devastated the community, which meant when he came back, I think a third time to try and overthrow uh, the kingdom, they were the indigenous people who were there, the Aztecs were completely depleted. Um, And so that was a huge uh, help to Cortez. And so there's a lot more to that story, but this Eurocentric way that it's taught that the Spanish triumphantly uh, one, right, because Europeans are better, they're stronger, they have more weapons, more knowledge, they're smarter than Indigenous people, mm. and that's why they won. What mm-hmm. this podcast says is you can trace that kind of Eurocentric supremacy narrative all the way back to this uh, point in 1521, I think, which was how it's evolved over time that European white people, um, although Spain isn't necessarily white in the same way that maybe white people in Britain or white people in the United States are. So it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Mm. What what you're making me think of, Lisa, it's it's funny, yet it's not funny in real life. But um, today, of course, you all know we're recording a little bit in advance before you'll hear this, but uh, the running of the Boston Marathon is happening. And what's so funny to me is I saw a friend of mine who posted today, Uh, on her Instagram, (laughs) she posted, I'm running the Boston marathon today. She took a picture uh, at the finish line before the race. And she said, I'm going to tell my kids that I won the whole thing. (laughs) Great. You know, I I feel like that's kind of what history has done over centuries is that the certain folks, usually white and or male and or European, have 
told the story the way they wanted to tell it, which then puts everyone else who was not included and everyone else who knows the fuller truth in this almost subjective position of having to revise the history. And that's why I challenge the word revisionist. I know that's commonly used language with historians. I don't feel like it's revising the history. I think it's completing the history because oftentimes certain stories aren't told. This is one of the growing edges that I had, Lisa, when I was first getting to know LGBT history in particular, where everyone was talking about the Stonewall riots and how that was really the beginning of a huge movement. But no one said that Marsha P. Johnson was the one that threw the brick who happened to be an African-American trans person. That's a fuller story. The riots started at Stonewall, but who initiated that with the brick, right? And so, you know, for me, I'm constantly frustrated by the language of revisionist history because it implicates oppressed people whose stories haven't been told or have been told inaccurately, rather than implicating the people who told the story incorrectly to begin with. And that's right. a whole transfer of power situation that just ain't right. It, it's it's off. It's off. Yeah. And you shared that post on LinkedIn, right, that talked about how um, United States slavery is taught as African-American or black history. It's not talk, taught as white history when that's right. So that, that's you know, right. that's backwards, isn't it? Really? That's right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Ab- well, and again, you know, going back to that whole, you know, situation of who's the who's the hero in the story? Because usually they're the one that gets to tell the story. And that's the problem. That's really the problem. And so I feel like more of the stories. So Lisa, I am not a techie person. I know you're not a techie person either, but I think this is pretty cool. I've been seeing a lot of my friends posting on social media and so forth, where they're um, either at a, a wedding or at some type of event and they're showing photos and videos from a 360 camera that gets kind of the viewpoint from all different directions, every direction, frankly. Um, And that's what's so challenging about this history that's told by the victor or the hero Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is that it's only told from one framework of the camera. It's not told 360. And so of course, inherently somebody's perspective is gonna be left out. I don't think it's revisionist history to show that there were more colors in the rainbow rather than just two. That, that's that's not fair. And so, you know, I, I just kind of resent the implication that the hero, the hero's history was correct. And it's up to the rest of us to revise it. That's bull. Right. That's bull. Yeah. And well, I'm also thinking we're sitting here on Columbus Day or Indigenous Peoples Day. Right. And that's that right. is one of the big whoppers um, that mm-hmm. has been taught in schools in perpetuity related to, you know, the triumphant discovery of the United States and the expansion, Western expansion, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, leaning into the establishment of the U.S. and the Constitution and all these great people and such. Uh, And there's like a significant, significant piece of that story that is just erased. And it's erased on purpose because, you know, the intention, the white Eurocentric intention is to elevate and um Mm. valorize uh Mm. white men right right exactly well and you know since we're already on you know columbus day indigenous people's day um boston marathon day which i believe is technically patriots day in the city of boston and state of massachusetts you know what's really interesting is 
again, who is telling the story, who's not telling the story, and who's actually victorious and by what means, right? And so, you know, for me, I think it's just, it's a good day to question who's telling the story. And I think, you know, one of the bigger learnings from this entire conversation is to walk away saying, okay, what's the rest of the story? Because there has to be more to it. You know, even as we're sitting here talking right now from our point of view on a podcast, go out there and ask more questions and say, okay, I know Lisa and Shauna feel this way about this particular topic, but go find more perspectives on the very same topic. Because if we're going to get this, you know, 360 view where everyone gets to tell their part of the story, it's going to take more than just, oh, well, this is the canon, you know, meaning that this is what's always been taught. So it's accurate. No, it's actually not. I mean, historians say that they update the history all the time. If that weren't the case, then we wouldn't need historians continuing to do more research. So we could just stop, you know, and so therefore there's more to be told. Go out and question that. Um, but, you know, that that quote that is attributed to Winston Churchill, I don't think he said it, but um, it's attributed to him around the notion that history is written by victors, but it's victims who write their memoirs. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, first of all, Winston Churchill is always problematic in many <laughs> But, you know, when it comes to that quote, it's like, here we go again with the victors and the victims and the power dynamic between the two. And are the victors the ones that told the story primarily because they were in a position of power where more people would listen? And the victims are writing memoirs because fewer people will listen or people that have less power will listen. I'm concerned about where the power dynamic is here mm -hmm. and who's mm -hmm. being left out and whose stories are there, but they're being ignored or downplayed. It constantly happens. It's a, just a vicious cycle here. Yeah. And you know, and as I'm thinking, as I'm chewing on that quote is, you know, history is uh, as a subject um, taught as though it is objective, like it's fact. This uh, is what happened. Yeah. It's the capital T truth, right? So there yep. is credibility behind history as this, um, you know, immovable, static thing that we're telling from the past. And a memoir, I think we would probably place into the subjective, um, emotional, um, you know, individual experience yep. category, right? So it, it yep. immediately doesn't have as much credibility, which makes sense when you think, therefore, you've even got that hierarchy between history and memoir, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of literature, in terms of like understanding what did and did mm -hmm. not happen. So it's much easier yeah. to dismiss a memoir and be like, well, that's just yeah. what you think, right? Right. But this is actually what happened in history. Right. Um, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yep. Well, and you know, this, this is where, you know, and we see the, <laughs> I'm not going to use scholarly language here. This is where you see this raggedy ass storytelling. That's just not true. It, it's told from different perspectives. You know, we would say even from maybe a journalistic perspective that it's spin even, you know, what's, what's being told and who's telling it. Um, Lisa, one of the things that was just a mind blower that uh, one of, my previous faculty was telling me about in regards to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which many of us who have been exposed to higher education have probably heard of that kind of pyramid or triangle of increasingly important needs um, to a human being. So food, clothing, shelter, you know, love, support, belonging, et cetera. And, you know, everybody wants to look at the Maslow's hierarchy of needs thinking that, okay, this man, a white man did the research and created this hierarchy 
when he actually used Blackfoot indigenous peoples to actually conduct this research and come to these conclusions. So the pyramid that we see actually isn't a pyramid, it's a teepee. And, you know, again, depending on how you're telling it, you're seeing it from a Maslow's perspective of, you know, it's pretty concrete. You go from the bottom to the top, or at least you strive to the top of that pyramid. When Native Americans, based on their perspective from the Blackfoot perspective, said it was never intended to be this ascension to the top, but it's for self-actualization that continues to fold back into your community. So you're you're being groomed as a contributor to your community. That ain't what I heard the first time I learned nope. about Maslow's hierarchy of needs at all, right? Mm-mm, mm-mm. So, you know, it was folded in a way that didn't really let us get the entire story. It got one small lens of a much larger story. You know, don't we see this in sport all the time? You know, who's telling the story? Yeah, it's we're leaving voices out. And, you know, when do we get to a place where we're passing the mic to different people so that we hear the whole story Um, that that doesn't happen often? It's starting to happen more now. But yeah, we, we got some work to do with that. Yeah, you're making me think of um, I was reading this New York Times magazine article um, about uh, a a guy that kind of got pulled into the election lies um, as this central central figure who, you know, allegedly created an algorithm that fixed the election. It's all BS, right? It's not true. But he... um, was not a supporter of the former president and had posted as such on his Facebook. So the term is called malinformation when there is a kernel of truth and then that kernel of truth is used to um, accelerate or justify these larger uh, falsehoods, right? So disinformation is just flat out not true, right? Misinformation Mm -hmm. is when something is reported incorrectly, but it's not malicious, right? And then the malinformation is when you start with a kernel of truth. Mm -hmm. He doesn't like Trump and he works at an election firm, um, a private election firm. And so therefore, and then it just snowballs from there. Um, So it's, I feel like um, that happens a lot, right? Where there's um, this kernel of truth in something. So I'll give Mm -hmm. you an example. So my dad was on a plane a while back now next to a guy who um, had had a heart attack and then had had quadruple bypass uh, surgery and he was fitter than ever at that point. And so he had taken it upon himself to create a little booklet and give those out to people. For him, it was very spiritual and that, um, you know, it was God that had created the conditions for his survival. Um, But what he left out of, so that's true, that's true that he had a heart attack and he had quadruple bypass surgery and he's now fitter than ever, right? Um, But what is left out of that story is he's also very wealthy um, and has really great health insurance and so was able to pay for the emergency care, get to the hospital quickly, have the surgery, you know, had enough money to support his family when he was recuperating because that's a pretty hardcore Mm. surgery, right? So he's not going to be working. So all of that kind of financial privilege that surrounded him was not part of that story, right? And so he had crafted the story in a particular way that fit what he needed it to that he were he was then you know essentially proselytizing that to anyone who right. would listen um, right 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 so i thought that's really it's just an interesting um mm. where i think how kind of stories change um when they yeah. begin they yeah. you know they begin truthfully and then right. go completely right. off the rails 
Uh, but we we see it all the time, though, Lisa. I mean, I know we're not talking about sport directly right now, but we could talk about sport directly. I mean, you know, we see it happen all the time. I know that many of you all um, more recently heard about, for example, the MLB stats. And up until, what, the last year, year and a half or so, the MLB stats for baseball uh, in the United States did not include Negro League stats. So again, we have the quote unquote victors telling stories through the stats about what they accomplished that was not complete. If you're talking about all American baseball players, Mm -hmm, you, mm -hmm. you systemically excluded Negro league players who created a league because you would not allow them in. They were high performers from what I've read. And I need to read a little bit more on this, but what I've read was that, you know, it was another, I don't want to say a separate, but equal type of thing, but yeah, if you're, uh, if you're going to get death threats because you're about to break Babe Ruth's record as a Negro league player, (laughs) they didn't tell that part of the story. They talk about Babe Ruth. Right. 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 Yeah. And so, you know, let's tell the full story. Now we're getting a fuller story because those Negro league stats are, weighing up against those, uh, what has been the MLB stats to be all inclusive. Now let's watch and see the records fall. Let's, let's see what happens here. Right. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I think again, we're trying to push people to make sure that they're telling the fuller story and not just the slice they want to tell, because Mm -hmm, it's, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's almost like the champion. I feel like, you know, even as you were saying about Columbus and and others, you know, where it's like the, you know, your hands are up as you're crossing the finish line type of thing. And it's like, yeah, but you didn't talk about the 17 people that you pushed out of the way and 15 people that you stepped on in order to tell a story that you quote unquote finished first or conquered or won or came out in a better place. Uh, No, that's not, it's not accurate. It's not true. But it's it's kind of like I mentioned to you, Lisa, before about my my friend, um, my sorority sister, in fact, who's running the Boston Marathon today. And she posted on her Instagram uh, on her Instagram account. She said, I'm taking a picture right here um, in the middle of the Boston Marathon. I'm going to make sure to tell my grandkids that I won. Right. And, And I know she was joking when she said it, obviously, but we historically have done this. Whoever was the oppressor told their story and told it the way they wanted to tell it to people who were susceptible to listen to it. Whereas the quieter voices or the oppressed voices, no one passed the mic to them. They didn't get their story told. Um, So it's, it's frustrating, but we can see it all through sports, you know, the MLB, who can train, who can't train. Uh, Catherine Schweitzer, who we know what happened to her at the Boston Marathon. We could throw her in there into those list of stories that weren't told until more recently, they're all in there. We got a laundry list of of sport examples. Yeah, and I'm thinking about sports in the movies too, right? How infrequently there are stories um, about athletes of color who um, have excelled in their respective sports, but oftentimes those stories are only told in the context of a larger story about a white person or white people and their kind of redemption, right? So I'm thinking about Sandra Bullock in The Blind Side and there are other examples where Mm, it's mm -hmm. um, a the person of color's story is a part of a white person's story, or really the focus is about the white person's journey, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, through and out of racism. 
And it's never, you know, black stories in particular in the United States, in the movies and in reality are never centralized. They're never standardized. Mm. Um, they're always mm-hmm. either an add-on um, or a tool by which white people can then, um, you know, claim um, I'm a good person, right? I'm not mm. racist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So once again, <laughs> Even when the mic is passed to people of color or suppressed groups, those stories are still at the service of white people or male people. They're not telling right. the stories as right. a standalone value, right? Oh, I don't like how that feels. Yeah. <laughs> it's the truth, but I don't like how it feels, frankly. And uh, I mean, I I already have uh, extremely belligerent feelings about Columbus Day, Indigenous Peoples Day, lots of uh, national federal holidays that just we haven't told the full story of. Um, But I know that when it comes to sport, there's lots of stories that have not been told um, that we still have to discover. We have to lift them up, whether they're a memoir or not, uh, lift them up in ways that are powerful uh, because if not, the same stories will still continue to dominate. So we mm-hmm. have to we have to challenge them. We have to, we have to challenge what stories are yeah. being told, who can tell them. You know, I think that's part of the reason why Feisty is so incredible because they're telling women's stories and diverse women's stories. There's just so much to say about that. Um, we've taken the mic from the people that need not have it forever. So I think that's a good thing. Okay, so we have a new segment, and I think it's pretty funny and pretty exciting. So we're gonna we're gonna jump into that right now. Oh, absolutely! You know, see, this is what happens, y'all, when Shauna and Lisa are left to their own devices, texting back and forth as we think out loud about the injustices in the world. So the new segment is called "Hell Yeah" or "Hell Nah." All right, I may not be able to get through this whole segment without cracking up, but I think you all will love it because we have consistently over these episodes talked about businesses, organizations, even sometimes individuals where we are not supportive of them. And then we have others that we're extremely supportive of. Um, And so we felt it was important to highlight those. So Lisa, for this week, hell yeah, for me would be Old Navy. All right. Old Navy. And, you know, we're not saying that organizations don't have flaws somewhere, but let me just be clear when I'm doing my run, there's a shopping center where I run or walk uh, over in Wa Chapel is what it's called right there in the Gambrels area of Maryland. And they have an old Navy store and I am loving coming past there. And in the window, I actually took a picture and sent it to Lisa. There's a picture of their entire campaign on body quality. So body equality. And they've made it a hashtag. All of their uh, social media in regards to the uh, women's wear has been incredible because they've been featuring in their branding women of all sizes. They've even featured, I saw a commercial after doing that walk commercials where there were women that were not the traditional size that were dancing and having fun. And I know traditional may not be the right language I should even use there, but women of all sizes dancing in the commercial. And then when I went in last week, because I threw away some sweats that needed to be replaced, I walked in there and I was so pleasantly surprised that they had the full gamut of sizing for women, especially because they sell so much activewear. They went all the way from XS, so extra small, 
all the way up to 4X for women. And I love that because I felt like, okay, anybody, any person that I know could actually walk in here and find something that fits them, that's comfortable, that they would be pleased with. And so I'm giving a hell yeah to Old Navy. I just dropped some money on some really nice sweats there. And I plan to go back and get some more in different colors, but good job, Old Navy. Keep up the good work. I'm loving the branding. I'm loving the sizing. Folks can learn from Old Navy. So now Lisa. Okay. All right. So <laughs> this, hell nah. this week's hell nah, which probably sounds hilarious with my accent, um, is, is going to Instagram slash Facebook. Um, <laughs> as you may have seen in the news, um, a whistleblower came forward uh, over the last couple of weeks and shared that uh, Facebook had purposefully suppressed research they had done about the harm Instagram has on young girls' self-esteem and their body image. And they did that because it hurt their bottom line. And so they didn't want that information coming out. And um, when we think about sport, right, we also know that young girls in particular, um, a significant percentage of young girls drop out of sport um, when they hit puberty. And then very few continue afterwards because of all those social messages about what girls should and should not do. And then that is compounded by um, Instagram and the images that are placed on there around what bodies should look like. And so... I am giving them a big finger wag um, and just adding to the list of problems that I have with Instagram and Facebook. Caveat, I know that I'm on Instagram. I'm barely on Facebook anymore, but I'm trying to wean myself off. It's a little challenging when you uh, you need those platforms for your advertising and marketing and such, but right. um, pretty despicable move by those by Facebook, I think. What do you think, Shauna? Mm, absolutely, completely. And you know, once again, telling only their part of the story rather than the full story, right? So oh, yes, uh, yes. You know, they're, they're not telling the full story. Instagram and Facebook could do a great job of giving us, once again, that 360 viewpoint of all different body types, positive body image, um, and going from there. But that takes an intentional concerted effort to make it happen. So Hell no to Instagram and Facebook. Oh, and shame on y'all too for going out last week too. There, there was an outage um, for a few oh, hours. Nice. Many of us were uh, were working and didn't notice, but for those that use it for their small businesses and they need it, shame on you. Get it together. Get it together. So yeah, I'm loving it. Hell yeah and hell no. In, in my um, African-American Southern Virginia accent and in Lisa's British accent, I'm loving it. I'm, I'm loving it. Let, let's keep doing this. Yeah, so we're going to do this segment every week. So folks, please email us or send us a voicemail. If you have um, businesses uh, that you would like to spotlight in either category, we would be happy to oblige. Hey, everyone. This is Dr. Lisa Ringerfield, co-founder of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. We are really excited to announce that the Outspoken Summit will be returning in 2021. This year has created an opportunity for triathletes to get back in the blocks and start to rebuild triathlon to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for all. Join us from the 12th to the 14th of November as we host a virtual summit to connect with like-minded women, center women's equity in the sport, hear from industry leaders, and develop leadership skills related to our roles in triathlon. The summit will provide a rich forum to develop strong voices, inspire others, and advocate for change in the sport we love. For more information and to sign up for the event, go to OutspokenSummit.com. We hope to see you there. The Unfazed Podcast and all things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. 
Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science-backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data. They provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash triathlon. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy at Dr. Gold Speaks or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.